This is Cost One. Rayson speaking. Pressure coming here. Pressure coming. We're 1.5 below. Stand by. Two times here, boys. We're looking at 10.5 to 42. Hi everyone and thank you for joining us for another podcast. It's a bit of a treat this month, a glimpse inside one of the all-time sailing lines. Well today I'm not on the seafront in Cowes, I have ventured to mainland England to Poole Harbour for the big announcement as Team GB reveal who will represent Great Britain next year at the Games in Tokyo. I remember that feeling so well, the relief of selection then the realisation, the slight panic that it's not that long to go and there is always so much to do. The weight of expectation that engulfs you as you slip on that shiny new Team GB tracksuit. So I've just been at the big reveal. There's plenty of experience involved. Mills, Scott, Fletcher. It's a fully loaded team. But I'm getting ahead of myself. No doubt I'll have plenty of Olympic chat next year. So thinking ahead to 2020, let me know if there's someone from the Olympic world that you really want to hear from and I'll see what I can do. Maybe we need an Olympic special as Tokyo draws near. We'll have a think. This month, well, I'm not too sure what to tell you about this month's guest. When it comes to superlatives, I guess there's quite a few I could use. Is he the busiest man in sailing? Is he the most famous man in sailing? Possibly both of those and a whole lot more. He's won the America's Cup for three different nations. He's been knighted for services to the sport, but he's also one of sailing's most contentious characters. He's a fierce competitor out on the race course and in the boardroom. It is, of course, Sir Russell Coots. Figuring out what to ask Russell was never going to be straightforward. There's a lot of ground to cover. We touch reluctantly, as you'll hear, on his long and successful America's Cup career. And whilst I was full of questions, eager to know what it was like on the inside, he wasn't so keen. Fundamentally, I guess I think he's over it. It's clear to hear, you know, he's, he's moved on but we do get a feel for what has made him so formidable. His relentless approach, his technical mind, his decision-making. It's a really insightful listen. His passion now, that's clear to hear, is fully about moving the professional end of the sport forward. His big new project is, of course, SailGP. And we've talked a lot about the brand new series in previous pods. It's new and ambitious, big, bold and brave, but also pretty expensive. He's a man working night and day to make it a success. His drive with SailGP seems to really come from a, a deep-rooted passion. And as you'll hear, it really is at the forefront of his mind. I spoke to Russell just before the event in Cowes. The forecasts were full on. He had a lot going on, but he still managed to sit down and chat. But as you'll hear, he's pretty fired up. I really hope you enjoy the hour I spent with Sir Russell Coots. Wouldn't surprise me in a year, a year and a half time, if we see high 50s, maybe even 60 being approached. 
Don't tell me that high-performance sailing isn't tactical. The number of people that have come up to me and said, wow, this is generally exciting as a sports prophet. Russell, first and foremost, welcome. Welcome to the podcast and welcome to the UK, of course. And a massive thank you for joining me. It's great to have you on the podcast. I've said this about two or three people over the years, but I genuinely think you must be one of the busiest men in sailing. So thank you so much for giving us your time. We're here, of course, on the south coast of England. We're here for Sail GP, round four in Cowes on the Isle of Wight. So let's kick off with some chat about Sail GP. I mean, three events in Russell. What's your overall feel on how it's been shaping up? Well, we're obviously, you know, working hard at this you know i've felt for many years that um, there's been this aspect of the uh, as a professional entity in the sport where you've had this annual repeatable um, championship nation versus nation in a format that really can broaden the appeal of the sport i'm obviously passionate about the sport this is this has been my life and in many ways, I think if we can create something that the kids of today and the kids of tomorrow are going to aspire to be part of, and they themselves can create their own dreams around, you know, it's in other words, there's, it becomes aspirational for young people to then go on and, and become engaged with it. I think we'll really, really have something. and and. To be honest with you, that's been missing from 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 the sport. It's 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 been a lot of the process of getting through to these the the you know so-called top echelons of the sport is word of mouth. It's been sort of you know a lot of who knows who and 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 you know there hasn't been an opportunity to go out and race for your country professionally in a, in a you know with a according to a predefined pathway. So that's really what we're set out to do. And it's no different to what you see in a lot of other sports. I mean, a, a young kid aspiring to be a football player, they'd have their favourite teams, they'd have their favourite sports stars, they'd be able to follow them regularly in, 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 in various you know, championship matches and so forth. They'd be, be able to ride through the ups and downs with, with those players. And, and so that you create the dream. And to me, that's kind of been missing. It's sort of like you get these kids that become really passionate about our sport. They do the Olympic Games, and then what? It all kind of falls flat, and 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 some of them go on to you know the lucky ones go on to to do things. I look at my career. A lot of it, in reality, was chance. If I'd have been living in a different country, would I have achieved the same? Absolutely not. And that's where it's kind of been wrong. You know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super passionate about this whole opportunity. It's great to see you so energised. I mean, it's a massive undertaking, Russell. Let's break it down a little bit. What about the teams? I know you were involved in, in shaping some of them. You know, how have they stepped up to the racing? How pleased have you been with that? Real pleased. I mean, I mean this, is, this has got to be a sustainable business in, in, in all forms for it to work. And so... That, you know, we tried to select a lot of, you know, sailors that were right on the cusp of breaking through and, and who, you know, a lot of us believe will break through. You look at a guy like Dylan Fletcher, I already think he's one of the, 
you know, future superstars in the in the sport. You know, with with uh, Stu Bithell. You know, so, so in other in other words, we're not th- you know necessarily only thinking about right who's who is the superstar ne- there now. It's who's going to be, and I think you know a lot of these guys actually already are. You know, um, for many years, the top sailors have really been the top Olympic athletes, and they've never got the chance to then showcase their talents. You know, beyond that, and and so. To me, it was important to sort of try and address that problem. So, yes, we, we had a balance of experience and, 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 and youth, and I think as it flows on, you're going to see more and more um, younger people that are, that are jointly doing Olympic Games and racing in the you know, professional echelons of the sport, which is exactly how it should be. It's funny you mentioned Dylan Fletcher, who's the skipper of the, of the British team, because someone said to me that you... You know, you picked him because you saw a, a bit of a bit of the young Russell Coates in him. Is that true? <laughs> no, he he's 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 driven though. You know, he 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 he's the guy that if I walk into the team bases, he's the guy sitting there analysing. I mean, they all do this, but to an extent. But he's the one that's just analysing for hours afterwards, exactly the data and and trying to really understand this at, at a high level. And so, you know. A guy that's that driven, yeah, eventually, you know, I think, uh, you know, provided they've got the talent he obviously has, you know, at these, at these high-performance boats, you know, eventually there's a good chance they'll be successful. Having said that, professional sports is tough, you know, and it's tough at any level. You, 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 you look at a guy like Phil Robertson, right? He's got, the, he's got his chance, you know, and it's not going that great for him right now. And, and so, you know, in, in other words, this is, to me, that, that human interest story of how these people actually develop through, can they capitalise on these opportunities, can they make it to the top? We see that in all forms of life, you know, whether it be, you know, whatever career somebody's pursuing. I'm hoping that Phil makes it, by the way. You know, there's the same with Billy Bess, and he's having some challenges, but you can just see the determination in Billy's face. You know, and I was actually talking to him this morning. It's, it's great to see. They're, they're a special bunch, that's for sure. Um, it's a brave step, though, isn't it? I mean, the boats, of course, we've seen before, the F-50s, heavily remodelled, but essentially the cut boats from Bermuda. And so often with the America's Cut Russell, they just, the boats just sort of sit and die somewhere sad. I mean, why, why did you want to pursue this? What is, what is driving you to, well, well, to take it on? Yeah, there's been so much evolution with these boats in recent years that, you know, we really took the best of what, you know, all that research and so forth that was done collectively for the America's Cup. We really took the best elements from that and started from there because we wanted a reliable platform. But, you know, just now, you know, Dylan and the British team broke 50 knots. Well, that was unheard of, you know, uh, uh, even, well, even a year ago. But let's say uh, in 2017, that was unheard of. And that's only the beginning. We, we're only doing tweaks to that. Right now, next year there's a there's a whole new wing sail coming on stream. That's a modular wing that'll have a 18 metre wing for strong winds and a 29 metre wing for light winds. So obviously the the 18 metre wing and stronger winds is going to be a lot faster. And and then and then there's obviously new foils, you know, being con- let's say the conceptual design works being done now. Um, so uh, it's it's super exciting because um, it's. Uh, 
I liken it to say, like, if you look at a Formula One car, they've kept certain things. The look kept certain things the same. Like they could cover the tyres, the car would be faster, right? But they've kept that look. But the car is is evolving all of the time. They're constantly chasing greater performance. And I I think that's like us. We're going to keep certain the, the, the certain looks consistent. But there's a lot of performance things that we can chase. And it, it's honestly. Yesterday, the 50-knot barrier was broken. Wouldn't surprise me in a year, a year and a half time, if we see you know, high 50s, maybe even 60 being approached. What do, you, what do you hope to achieve with it, Russell? I mean, what's the, if we looked five, 10 years on, what, what would SailGP look like? What's the long-term vision? A group of teams that are profitable. You know, and, and, and the way I say that is, the reason I say that is, you look at some of the iconic brands, team-wise, that we've all seen for years in our sport, and they come and go. It's really unfortunate. If I take some, you know, a few examples, um, you know, great teams like Stars and Stripes. You know, when you had Dennis Connor at the at the, at the top of his game, a fantastic brand gone. Australia too. Again, you know, in, in some words, in some ways, a record-breaking brand gone, doesn't exist anymore. And then you compare that to other sports, and you look at some of the great teams in, in other sports, and they, the brand lives on through different owners, through different staff players, whatever. It it, it doesn't just come and go. And that, in, in a way, that's what's wrong. You know, you get these teams that are formed. In some ways, it, it, it affects families as well because they, they, they go away, they do the project for a while, and then all of a sudden the whole thing shuts down and it's now what? And you're, and you're looking for a new program, project and the stop-start nature of the sport. So I think what solves that is if we can create a model, and, and, and we think that this model that we've got is, is the most likely to succeed. You create a model whereby the teams become profitable, and therefore, when an owner, for example, tires of being involved, that team is then traded. It doesn't doesn't just disappear. Or if some of the key sailors outgrow their 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 life, in the, you know, as a sailor in the team, new sailors are coming on board. You know, there's a there's a pathway for that. There's a youth academy sitting underneath the team that's that's taking these top Olympic sailors, you know, and identifying the talent within their own country. And then giving them this, grooming them to then become part of the team, and 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 so you'll end up having you know these team cultures being formed where um, they people coming into it get drawn into it and drawn into the professionalism and so forth of the team and develop a, a career pathway. You know, that's the vision, and that's what we want to try and achieve. How long have you got to make it work? Well, you know, we're fortunate. One of the key things, you know, key reasons that projects like this may not be successful is a lack of funding. You know, when you when you're doing a startup, you obviously need to invest capital at the beginning, and 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 obviously, you know, that's we, we've we've taken the vision rightly so that that's not going to last forever. So, Larry's amazingly undertaken to underwrite this program for the first five years. And uh, that gives us, a, you know, frankly, a lot of scope to develop projects. You know, if we were looking at this as a one or two year operation, we would treat things completely differently. 
but we know that we can develop technology and so forth that's going to have longer term benefits. And we know we can invest in marketing, for example, and, and you know, focused on, as an example, the countries represented you know, with the teams. We can focus that and know that we're building an audience that will then be useful for us in, in, in future years. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a huge advantage to have you know, um, Larry Ellison so passionate about you know, doing this project. So that's the concept. What about you, Russell? I mean, you're a very competitive man on the water. How much do you wish you were 25 right now? Wow. Well, that'd be awesome. You know, I mean, I just, I'm very involved in, in youth sailing today. And I just, I just, you know, look at these people, these kids and, and, uh, you know, um, the opportunities hopefully will be great for them in the, in the future. You know, I think we're, we've, we've got, a, you know, an exciting times in, in the sport right now. It's amazing. Not many sports get the chance to reinvent themselves. You know, and there's a lot of sports out there right now that their memberships are declining and there's no real solution or none that you know probably the people involved or the people on the outside can really see here's the difference with what we've got right now and here's the important thing we've got now got this opportunity to reset things that with a with a futuristic view that should have the possibility to last for a long time you know and, and create a lot of interest in the, in the in you know, the young people that are involved in our sport. Well, what a great opportunity. And that's, that's, in a way, that's the magic of sailing. It's not just, you're not just, it's not just the physical sport. You've got this, you know, these technical aspects that are, that are connected with it as well that can engage certain, it's, it's obviously not a sport for everyone, but, but there's a lot of elements to it that could interest people at, at, at a young age. And I look at, for example, esports. And I'm intrigued by watching our young sailors. I've got a group of young sailors that all race on virtual regatta. And they all know each other's, you know, names and they're all, you know, even, even you know, internationally. And I just find that fascinating, you know, that, that, that and they are fully engaged in, in, in this. And they, they, I think it's a great source of learning too. I, 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 I'm not with everyone else that we sort of, don't adopt that. I, I absolutely think we should be adopting that with open arms. We've got to look at this through the eyes of a young person, not not what was great for us, you know, in in, in the past. You know, for sure. You know, we had a, I can look back a lot of great moments in my sailing career, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be considering. Hey, but how's that now been modified by what we're seeing today? It's been interesting. We've just done a podcast with Nathan Outridge, the, the Japan um, skipper, and, and Chris Draper, CEO of the British team. And they're really aware of the chronology, I suppose, of what's happening in sailing right now. And so grateful to be in the sport at this exciting time. I mean, can you think of a time that's seen such radical change in our sport as, as now? Well, pro- probably not, not to this extent, you know. Um, the sport, in, in truth, the, the thing that excites me most, the sport's never really had a proper professional arm. It really hasn't. It hasn't been managed professionally and it, you know, it, you know, for professional, as a professional entity. And right now, well, finally, what an opportunity.
it's incredible. I mean, I was out on the Solent yesterday with the, with the Chinese team. 20 knots of wind, there's windsurfers on foils, kites on foils. I mean, the world's gone foil mad. Some say, I guess, that that's been driven by the America's Cup in a way, by proof that they're manageable, viable even. I mean, could you see this coming? I mean, when did you think, was there a moment where you thought, this is really going to take off? Yeah, there was. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think anyone could have predicted that, you know, it would have happened this quickly let's say, and when, um, you know, clearly one of the keys is, as a, you know, if you look at the marketing, all of a sudden we had a property that looked exciting and was, it was stimulating to these, to even non-sailors, you know, and, and all of a sudden they could start to follow it and understand it. They may not have known the intricacies of every aspect of it, but all the number of people that have come up to me and said, wow, I never watched sailing in the past and I never even realised it could be like that, but wow, this is actually generally exciting as a sports property, as a racing product, you know. We used to, when we, we used to, in the old days when we used to run events, we used to have to have all these other, you know, whiz-bang features around it to try and, you know, attract interest. You know, you'd have skydivers and you'd have all this, you know, all these other side events because you'd think, well, actually the sport property itself isn't, isn't really compelling enough and we've got to put all these other you know, aspects around it to try and make it, you know, fill the day in, so to speak. Now the racing product's good enough that you just put on the race. It's like, you know, and that's, that's you know, in itself been a massive change. Let's take a quick detour, Russell, if I may. I mean, obviously my sailing background was with the Olympics and you tasted Olympic success in LA in 84. A gold medal in the Finn class. Yeah, well, you did a bit better than I did in the Olympics. <laughs> I mean, do, do you see the Olympic environment as a place that should be adapting to these changes we're seeing at the very top level of our sport? Oh, absolutely. And, I, and you know, example, recently I, I, I read a lot of, um, you know, comment on the, you know, selection of the Olympic classes and so forth. I think differently about that. You know, I think we've got to look to, when you've got such a small number of kids doing some of these classes worldwide, and the cost of some of these boats that they're participating in, when you look at those two factors, I think you've got no choice but to change. You know, and, and I think some of the initiatives that they're bringing in, um, like the kite foiling, fantastic. Why? It's, yes, it's, 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 it's a change to what I was doing, you know, racing a fin years ago. But I think that, ha that has the potential to draw a whole lot more kids in, 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 into the sport and really engage with it. I was standing there, we, we had the Kite Foiling Nationals, hosted the Kite Foiling Nationals at our local club, Manly, just north of Auckland, you know, tiny little yacht club. And I was standing there with three of the girls out of our, out of our program, young girls that are, that are starting in our junior program afterwards. And I said, hey girls, what do you think of that? Oh, that's, we want to do that. That's what we want to do. You know, I, I want to get on one of those boards. How can we do that? And so in our junior program now, we're bringing that aspect into it. We're, we're, we're adopting it. Why? Because I think it has the potential to draw kids in and it's, it, it may, they may be able to stick with it. You know what I mean? If they find something really passionate about. Of course, we haven't forgotten the traditional element. We've still got some great young kids that are really passionate about sailing laser and you know, some others are into 29ers and some of them are into falling boats like wasps and so forth, you know. But the point is now, 
they've got these exciting choices and and I say let's give them the choices and let's adopt that as a sport rather than saying hey we've done this for 50 years this way and oh you know we we we, we don't necessarily want to change I, I'm not saying we should be flippant about changing but when when there's a compelling argument to to, to you know to really um, change then uh, you know I think we should look at it and when you, you go to a place like where I was in San Francisco for the you know Soul GP event there and you saw the number of kiteboarders out there on a Wednesday night or if you look at you look at um, in fact any night of the week there but but then and then you look at the number of um, board sailors or, or for, wind foilers as they call them and kite foilers that are that are sailing off uh, off the beaches around where we live now it is a it is creating stimulating interest and in many ways it's a relatively cheap way to, to get into the sport we all know that the foils themselves aren't cheap but when you compare that to you know some other choices that you have within the sport it definitely in my view anyway is a very cost-effective option to get kids pretty competitive equipment you know at a relatively cheap you know price it looks it's so exciting i think i mean even i'm compelled by it and the chance i guess to to learn you something say even, that it, new and that fast yeah but you it. say even you of course you are compelled by it you love the sport you know what i mean and, and 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 it's hard it's hard not to see it especially a race it's hard not to see a race in one of these things and say wow that's actually pretty cool you know and i've heard all these these people discard it and sort of say oh yeah it's lost all the technical element and all this sort of thing i actually think rubbish compare sailing downwind in a high performance boat to to, to, a, to a low performance boat a low performance boat you generally go straight and you look for the puffs coming down behind you and you hedge towards those gusts and you sail the waves and so forth a high performance boat you're effectively tacking downwind you're working the shifts you, you you're still looking for the, the the sides of pressure you have to judge ley lines into the bottom mark don't tell me that high performance sailing isn't tactical it's it's in, in many I, I could argue it's much more tactical sailing a high speed boat even even if you take a Melgus 24 a Melgus 24 to a heavy displacement boat of the same size I can tell you in my view way more tactical sailing the Melgus 24 downwind so I think that that's, that that commentary is mainly from people that actually don't sell high performance boats or have grown up sailing low performance boats and they've got a bias towards that. You know, do I love the fin? Yeah, I love the fin, but it's not the only solution out there. Let's be honest, people. You know, I think. I mean, I've sat in the back of um, of an F fifty. I mean, I can. I can never fathom how they can make those tactical decisions at that speed. I mean, my brain doesn't work at yeah, well, and <laughs> 50 miles an hour. And that's why we're not doing it, surely. You know? And good, you know, in a way, yes, I think one of the special things about our sport is you can do it at an older age. I'm going to be jumping into a laser later this year on a Thursday night and battling it out against a whole lot of punters and kids and the whole lot. No doubt I'm going to love that. My legs Everyone might, will want to beat you. Yeah, I, my legs might not love that, but but the, the point is, I you know, you know of course I, I love that side of the sport, but I could uh, uh, you know would I would I if I was younger would I be out there in a moth? Absolutely, I would have been out there pretty much every day, you know, working on that. The design tools back in 2010 actually were pretty primitive. When I was competing, I'd love to win and used to compete fiercely. 
I won't tell you the, the answer that they gave, but it wasn't the people on the New Zealand boat. We're going to touch a little bit on, on the America's Cups. I mean, the ones where foiling really took off. At the real elite end of the sport, it was San Francisco, wasn't it, back in 2013, where foiling really grabbed the world's attention. You know, I'll never forget coming out into the, into the bay the first day and watching those two giant boats lift out the water towards each other. I mean, it's oh, a yeah. moment that will stick with me forever. You were in charge, of course, the defender of Oracle, and obviously Team New Zealand were in the cup match against you. What was the first inkling you had that their boat, that their massive boat would fly? When did you know that this was on the horizon? Oh, pretty early on, actually. You know, like a lot earlier than what people realised. Um, you're right, it was amazing to see those boats in, in real life. You know, even, even when you look at them, and it's the same today, you look at them on video, and yes, it's pretty spectacular on video, you look at them in real life, it's still a wild moment. I could go out there today and look at the F-50 sailing and be, you know, wow, you know, that is, that is impressive. It's still like that. Yeah, so, so it was a game changer. And of course, it started off with the boats falling downwind. And then, of course, there was a development with the four jives. And then, of course, it, it, it evolved, obviously, to going upwind and then the four tacks. And, you know, of course, we've seen a massive development. Equally as, I would say, equally as significant, though, was if you, if you take, go back a few years to the giant wing sail that was put on the trimaran because all of a sudden you could sail the boat more like a dinghy. The, the main sheet load in that situation went down from 25 tonne to 3 tonne. 3 tonne still a lot of load but, 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 but the point is all of a sudden you could, you could play the, the, the sheet and adjust the sheet like you were, more like you were sailing a, a you know, 49 or a 29 or, or you know, some, a boat that where you're playing this actively, really working the trim of the boat. And so I think, I think this whole, the whole move to the wing sail with the lower sheet loads has really enabled the progression to, to, for a lot of these aspects to really fast track the development, if you, if you like, of the manoeuvres and so forth. I remember that cup in Valencia. Every morning coming down to, to where your boat was and seeing the crew come off the boat. I mean, people sailed it all night. To me, it felt like such a massive risk, a massive development. Did it feel at the time like you were, I mean, you were almost stepping on the moon? Oh, yeah. It was, you know, it was like brand new territory. Still is today. You know, it still is. I mean, the guys, um, I was talking to the Americans last night, you know, Rome Kirby and and some of the guys, and, and they were saying when they get on these boats, after they've had you know, two or three weeks off, it's still sort of, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, hang on a minute, I've got to get used to this again, you know? It's, it's, it's impressive. Yeah, you're definitely walking on new territory, that's for sure. I mean, I felt at, at that time, I guess, that you're a man who's not, he's not scared to take risks. Oh, calculated risks, I think, you know, or logical, you know, things that, that I, I wouldn't see it necessarily as a risk. You know, you, you, you do your analysis, you 
get the information and you make a decision. And sometimes the decision is going to be right, sometimes it's wrong. But and, and if you you've acted on the right information, it's more likely to be right. You know. So yeah, it, it, a lot of the products were obvious. You know, when, when you look back, and it's just a matter of how. I think the surprising thing is how quickly it's it's evolved. The design tools back in 2010 actually were pretty primitive when you when you look at it today. You know, a lot of that's been the advances advancements in you know uh, computer technology and just the accessibility to to you know, analyze. You know, it used to take days, sometimes even weeks to analyze. Or if you're doing traditional models in, in the in the old times, measuring things in a wind tunnel or a you know a towing tank months you know to to, to, to analyze something um, now you can do it in a much more controlled way where you can pick your your variables you know for example your winds if you're checking things as compared to real life or, or the real let's say full scale um, results you can control the environment in a computer a lot obviously a lot more efficiently and you can you can that's why simulators are so powerful because you can go through and you can Try different things under a controlled environment and really zone in on why something's happening, which is you know fascinating. I think that's that's probably one of the biggest. Uh, actually, I'll go back. That is the biggest change in the sport is the way things are, have been analysed today in, in in a technical sense. It's so much more efficient. Let's talk a little bit more about San Francisco. I mean, it it, it will be remembered not just within the sport of sailing but within sport not just for the for the amazing sight of those machines on the bay but also obviously the the greatest comeback that we'd ever seen a lot's been documented about that russell so we won't we won't go into it too much but i just wondered you know honestly when you look back what do you what do you think of those mad few weeks trying to trying to turn that result around well first of all i look back and we didn't do enough on the stories, the backstory, you know, what a great story in a, in a way. So yeah, the result was there, but, but not enough about the real story, what was going on you wouldn't let behind the scenes. And, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's half the problem, isn't it? Yeah. You know? But, but today, in today's world, you know, you're seeing that these things are really resonating with people. You know, when people can understand what people were feeling at the time and why you know it was hard and what were well, you feeling yeah. at the time um well to be honest with you i i, I was thinking that uh, you know, a lot of the performance difference bet between the boats didn't make sense it was it, it you know it didn't. and it, as it turned out at the end of the day it didn't you know the the, the um oracle boat was a better boat you know, and, and, and so the fact that there was this performance difference in the way it was, the, 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 you know, you, you were seeing that early on. When you looked at all the, all the configuration of things, and by the way, you could, uh, I could honestly say you could see the same thing in 2007 in reverse. You know, I at least knew that, 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 that they had a, a better package, you know. But yeah, that was, the, that was the surprising thing, and in a way it would have been, you know, it would have been one of the only occasions where the faster boat has lost if it hadn't have been turned around, you know. Now I'm not saying it wasn't a great turnaround because it was, you know. Give it, in fact, but the fact that the team had got themselves that deep into into trouble is probably one of the things that that 
that was the you know the main intrigues with it you know I mean, it did a massive benefit for the sport. Everybody, yeah. everybody you, knew what was, you, what you, was going if on. You, if you were Don King and you were promoting that, you'd, you'd imagine that he would have scripted that. He could okay, not guys, have that okay, better. guys, we're going to go eight one down and then come back, and it's going to be a massive story. But, but no, that's not what happened. I guess as the man in charge of making that happen, though, it's got to be. I mean, you talk about it very analytically, but it, I mean, surely, I mean, it was massively stressful. Oh, look, in truth, surely. Um, I believe, yeah, yeah I, I, you know, when I was competing, I'd love to win. And, and uh, you know, used to compete fiercely. So if I tried to say anything else, a lot of my competitors would say, that's total BS, you know. But, but the, the point is, I guess, you know, you get to a stage in life where you realise that this is really a game, you know, and, and it's not... Life and death. It's an interesting game, and it's a game that we, you know, love to practice when we're competing and love to win and so forth. But you've got to keep it in perspective. And you know, I think you know it's interesting. You know, this image of Larry, you know, for example, Larry Allison being, oh well, you know, you know, you know, desperate to win and all that sort of thing, couldn't actually be more further from the truth. He's a passionate sailor. Loves to compete, loves to win. Disapp- you know, disappointed, maybe even upset when he loses, but actually loves the race, and 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 loves the competition, and loves you know that that feeling of being in competition. You know, and and so yeah, would it have been devastating to me if we'd lost at that point? I don't think so. You know, I honestly don't. It's it's it, it you know. So uh, it wouldn't have been, you know, life would move on and I'd be on to the next thing. And, and in actual fact, I've never really dwelled in the past. And, and I think that in a way that's probably been what I would perceive as one of my advantages, you know. Um, as a sports person, the moment one thing was, was done, I'd always be on to the next thing and, and focused on the next thing four years on in Bermuda. I mean, you created this incredible spectacle, the venue. I mean, it was, it was designed. Wasn't well, it? Yeah, first steps into really event organisation, you know. Uh, obviously, I was working with the team in San Francisco and, and, you know, creating that new television product and everything. They were, they were exciting times. You know, Stan Honey and, and Ken Mills and all those guys building that, that whole live line package was, was amazing. You know, and, and it was a massive step forward for the sport. So all of those things happening, and then, and then, sort of starting to take steps to put an, an, an event flavour on the sport and, and, and experiment with what was working and what's not. You know, for example, question: How long should the broadcast be? You know, how long should the event be? You know, we moved a lot of things over those years. And I think discovered a lot of information about you know running events. Still learning a lot today, and 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 that's fun. How pleased were you then with with Bermuda as as an event, and and I guess with the broadcast package too? Well, I th- I thought it was a you know fabulous event. The the I guess the challenge is uh, Bermuda is a small island, you know, and we knew that, but its its proximity to New York was 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 you know one of the things that sort of countered that a little bit. We also had great super yacht support just because of its location and between the Caribbean and, and Europe and, and the Northeast. 
was a great location for the super yachts to come. And so the whole event vibe was, was, was pretty special, I think. You know, for anyone that was there, was it a great time? Yeah, it was, was an awesome time. And, uh, you know, I think any, any, anyone that was there actually either competing or just there as a, as a punter, as a fan, it'd be hard to say, oh, it wasn't a very good event. I, I, I challenge anyone to find somebody that would say that. I mean, you had a, an incredible vision, as we're seeing now, to, to carry the sport on, and it was an amazing spectacle in Bermuda. Um, but I guess in the end, there was something that you're not very familiar with, Russell, and that was, and that was losing. You know, how hard was that loss in Bermuda to you? Well, actually, not that significant at all. I was disappointed for the guys that put all that work in. But probably one of the biggest disappointments for me was that the racing wasn't very close. It wasn't as good as, as say, you know, you, you didn't have as many lead changes as what you had, for example, in the San Francisco racing, where for one part of the series anyway, one boat was faster upwind and one boat was faster downwind, so it sort of balanced things up. And so you saw that, you know, one boat with a technology advantage in, in Bermuda and races were, they were three minutes apart, or, or maybe not three minutes, but certainly hundreds of metres apart, very quickly. And so you had this situation where we put all this effort into trying to create a race that was watchable and fans would engage with and all of a sudden we were sitting there saying oh my, okay getting beaten is one thing but 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 just the racing itself didn't actually look that good and it's really what drove us to hey really we need a solution where we keep evolving the technology but we we make it such that the teams are getting access to to equal technology so we're not going to stand still with technology but but make it such that the race, the technology doesn't um, compromise the, the, the quality of the racing product. Because in a way, you know, it's, it's like when Formula One went through the era where it was a race to see who had the best tyres. And whoever had the best tyres won. Well, even though they're amazing cars and all the rest of it, pretty dull racing. And, and fans were turning off. And so, rightfully so, the Formula One organisers said, well, we... We can't live with that. We've got to change it and make it, you know, make it such that you know the ties are equal. Of course, the, we all know that they're still, you know, probably not equal. But 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 the the point is the 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 idea is we want a close race. My last cup question. <laughs> oh my! I absolutely yeah, promise. We've got to get away. You know, it's been part of your life, hasn't it, since your since your early twenties? But not is it weird? Not, not now, though. Not, is it is it weird though now? Not being not no, living that life. No, not at all. Not at all. That's the thing about sailing. There's various facets that people get engaged with, and I'm super excited. I think what we're doing now is different, and. Um, a lot of big differences, and that's what I'm. Uh, I'm uh, that's what's driving me these days. It's 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 creating something new, creating something that I think works, creating something that hopefully will be a platform for you know kids aspiring to really get into this at the top level. They can be, now be aiming for something and know that you know that's how I get there. There isn't an easy answer here, Russell, but I guess something that I'm curious about is 
it's what it is about Russell Coates, particularly out on the water, I guess, that's made you so successful competitively. <laughs> well, there's been some ups and downs. That's the first thing. So don't read all the, don't believe <laughs> all that stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I was, um, I think uh, probably I had, you know, for my era, let's say, I had a good handle on um, the technology and, and, and you know, a good handle on um, some of the balance aspects of the, of the boat, you know, some of the forces that were involved and what was influencing those. So I, was, I, th I think I was able to, you know, when you look at, for example, when we were doing um, the match racing circuit and going around and jumping in a whole range of different boats, it, it enabled us as a, as a team to get in and know what might be fast in, in, in certain boats just by looking at the design of them and, and, and figuring out or, or looking at the balance of the boat and figuring out, well, really, you know, this is how we should approach this, from a, again, from a logical standpoint. So that was probably one of the um, factors. You know, I mean, it sounds cliche, but having a bunch of good guys around me that, that, that we got on well as friends as well as, you know, as sailing, you know, teammates. That was a, that was massive. Like the journey was fun. In other words, you know, it's, it's not like I see a lot of these kids in Olympic games and, and one of the first questions I, I, I'll ask them is, Hey, how's it going? You know, it's, oh, well, and then and they start talking about their results. Yeah, but how's it going? You know, because I think that's such a big part of winning. You know, if, if you're not, if you're generally not enjoying the journey, if that's, if that's, you know, of course we all know that training's hard, your competition's hard, it doesn't always go your way. But if the journey's crap, <laughs> then it's really hard, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like, wow, you've just made it tenfold more difficult trying to, trying to win and succeed. That's funny you say that. I mean, I feel so, exactly so, the same. So. I always loved, I mean, I loved the long day out training. You know, I, I relished that. Um, but but, but I, always, I always used to think the little things like, which, to, again, I'll, I'll rephrase that. I don't think they're that little, actually. For example, celebrating a victory with the team. Really important moment. You know, you almost, you've almost got to be there. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and some people will say, oh, you missed a few. Yeah, I did, but at, at my... I guess realizing afterwards, hey, that was a that was a mistake, you know, but but just um, being there in those moments, sharing those moments, and also you know going through the tough times as a, as a group, you can still you know yeah it's tough at the time, but that journey is 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 actually when you sit back and look at it, fun, you know, fun, and and man, we used to have some fun. <laughs> Do you think you're ruthless? On oh, some ways, yeah. I used to, I used to win, you know, and, and take some, you know. I think, um, I think my competitors definitely didn't think I was a pushover. That's for sure, you know. That's, um, but that's that's I, again, it because I guess I didn't used to treat it as life and death. To me, that you know, of course, why not? And it was just a, a, a you know part of the game, if you like. And uh, so, yeah. What about for you, Russell? Why do you think you've been so driven? All these campaigns. I mean, it's tough. It's time-consuming. 
What's been driving you to keep coming back time and again? Well, I love the sport. You know, it's, it's, if I look at where I, you know, years ago where I started, I was actually, as a 15-year-old kid, I was coaching other junior sailors. Yeah, and I loved that aspect of it. And I just loved trying to get people to love the sport as much as I did, you know, basically why I was doing it. And to me, that's, you know, half the reason. Do, do, I, do I need to be doing what I'm doing these days for financial reasons? Absolutely not. It's pretty, uh, would be obvious to at least some people. I'm doing it because I, I, I want to see the sport succeed, you know, and, 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 and you know, that's really, you know, probably what's driven me most, uh, you know, in, in the sport over the years. I mean, those those America's Cup campaigns—they are they're all-consuming. Uh, yeah, but, so, but so is an Olympic campaign. You know, in its own way, Olympic campaign. I'll argue, America's Cup campaign is probably difficult because you've got all those people around you, and some of the Cell GP guys coming in there, you know. That are now managing their teams are finding that you know this is a new dimension. All of a sudden, they're not deal- having to deal with two or three people. It's a whole squad of people, and you've you've got all of the challenges around that. So that's the that's the challenge with that. But on the in the Olympic programs, even though you might have some support from your national authority and so forth, and you you've got your you might have your coach, it can be more lonely. If, if you like, you know, and, and, and that's, again, why I think, you know, hey, you've got to find a way to enjoy that journey. Do you think all that focus, you know, cost you in a way, personally, when you look back? Oh, yeah, you know, did I, did I miss out on doing some things that I've liked to do? Yeah, but actually not much, you know. I mean, wow. Would I do much differently? Probably not. And I can honestly say that, probably not. Have I said some dumb things over the years? Absolutely. Have I done some things that you wouldn't do again? Absolutely. But overall, would I change much? No. No. Of course, you know, I, I absolutely, you know, I've had a, had a great, you know, time and, you know, doing what I've been doing. What about at home, Russell? I mean, you won the cup for New Zealand, a huge deal, obviously. Then you beat your own country sailing for the Swiss, for Lingi. And then beat Alinghi with the Americans, with Oracle. I mean, God, we're that's been... <laughs> we back on America's no, This is my last one, but it's been no. a pretty brutal decade or so of, of sailing. I, I'm just... I know you don't want to talk about it, but I'm just curious, I guess, on, on no, what I would say how about you feel it, at home. What I, what I would say about that is, what an experience for a sports person. You know, because not many sailors yet... And hopefully we can create something that does address this. But not really many sailors yet have have felt that what it feels like for a football player to go into a to go into the opposing team stadium and get ribbed by the crowd and, and and so forth. You know, as a sports person, you can take that as a challenge. You know, but to experience that at that moment, I still think about those moments sometimes, not from the sports point of view, from how, what it felt like to be there, you know, and great memories, you know, yes, there was, there was a lot of um, challenges and there, you know, there, there were a bunch of parochial New Zealanders that were pretty extreme actually, and I think as a country, 
that, that, that changed things as well, you know. People actually reflected on that and thought, well, you know, hey, at the end of the day, it was a sport. We were really acting, you know, um, you know as we'd like to in that situation. But for, for me as a sports person, wow, what a, what a brilliant experience, you know. It, it, uh, it was great. What, what did that feel like? Awesome. And, and somebody, somebody once told me that, that when we were towing out through the vast raft of, of uh, spectator boats and so forth, um, and there were, I remember there was a Maori haka on the, on the point of the hundreds of thousands of people, you know, there, and you're driving out through that. And parts of it, you know, you could just see that the, 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 I guess the intensity of it on people's faces, you know, it was, it was, it was as if, you know, there was this, almost this war mentality, you know, and, uh, this, this, this guy that I know was, was with a group of Optimus kids, Optimus kids in, in New Zealand, and actually from one of the provinces in New Zealand. And he, and he said to them, who would you, who would you rather be right now? Right? Because there was the, the, Ten years on boat towing out, and there was the Ilingi boat towing out, and I won't tell you the, the answer that they gave, but it wasn't the wasn't the people on the New Zealand boat. Amazingly, you know, and 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 and, and what I would what I would say about that is sports is creates emotions in people, you know, it's it's and it's what we've I think we've what we've got to do with Soul GP. We've got to bring out those emotions and bring out the backstories behind the athletes and so forth and get people to actually care about the people and form a view about the people. They might not like a certain person, they might like one of the other ones, but get them to, to, to really connect emotionally with the sport. What's it like in New Zealand now? I mean, I, mean, I always laugh when I, when I read the, the Kiwi press. I mean, it's absolutely brutal. I mean, they're really long memory. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're not exactly balanced either, I would say in general, you know. Maybe you, you live there, what's it like? But you see that in the rugby reporting and everything, yeah. you know. I mean, it's just like, it's not just isolated to sailing. And, and you know, there is only one side, you know. <laughs> and, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think the country's changed a fair bit over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, actually. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's rare for me to to have any very rare i'd say to have any pushback these days you know at the time of course if you walk down the street in a lingy t-shirt you'd, you'd you'd get some ribbon for sure you know but um uh nowadays no it's 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 i think people have um frankly the, the country's grown up a fair bit Okay, let's take a, a glimpse into the future, Russell. I mean, where do you think the sport is going? And my, my son sails, he's really into it. He loves all the tech, the wings, the foils. He's out there in his dinghy, quite possibly, you know, imagining he's the next Pete Burling, like kids do. I mean, what's he going to be competing in 10 years from now? What's that going to look like? Yeah, well, I, 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 you know, first of all, I'd say whatever drives him, I'd give him lots of choice. You know, expose him to a lot of things and see where that takes him. Let him find his passion, you know. And I've got a, my young 13-year-old's uh, very passionate about it too. He's, he's fully into all the foiling stuff and, you know, races as wasp and into the moths already and, you know, just loves, loves that aspect of the sport. Um, 
Yeah, exciting times for kids, isn't it? You know, it's, it, it, it really is. And I think, um, I think these kids of today, they actually learn in a different way to what we, we learned. They look at these videos online, you know, like they can look at, my young boy can look at videos of Nathan Outridge selling a, selling a moth and then take that on the water, go out and practice and figure it out. And then he'll figure out, well, actually, I don't like what Nathan's doing there. And this is a 13-year-old kid. I'm actually going to modify that a bit, you know, which is fantastic. You know, it, the, the, they, they, I think the way they learn now is brilliant. And it's very visual, and they're able to access this information online and then, you know, create. You can imagine these kids going to sleep at night thinking about these things. How do I do the foil tack? How do I do the, you know... How do I how do I do that manoeuvre that I saw this this really good sailor do on, online? And I I think the other thing about that's really exciting about the sport is this push into gender diversity that's really been I must say spearheaded by world sailing. Brilliant! I think it's absolutely brilliant. And you know we we're now just starting to see the impact of that in in in, in our junior sailing programs. Long way to go, but. It's 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 moving in the right direction. I mean, Russell, you've been you've been such a driver for momentum in ch and change. You know, how does that feel? And and do you see yourself in that role? I, I wouldn't say change for the sake of changing. You know, I, I just think good ideas need to be you know pursued. And you know, when you see good ideas, yeah, you know, you, you obviously got to adopt that. You know, there's a history in the world of Major companies disappearing because they don't change with the times. You know, I'll, you know, give it a, everyone of my age will relate to this. Remember when we were all on blackberries? Now, a bitch of the people in that company never thought that they would be, you know, going away that quickly. So, so of course they, they still kind of exist today. But, but, but you know, let's be honest. It's it's changed. The world's changed, and 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 I think that's the attitude that we've got to take today. It is a different world, and we've got to look for these opportunities and 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 really you know make the most of them. I mean, Russell, you could stay at home and play golf every day, but you choose to to drive the momentum of the sport. Why? Well, first of all, I couldn't play golf every, every day. My back would give out. <laughs> And I, and, I, yeah, um, and I get bored with it. Um, no, I, I like to be active. I like to be doing stuff. And, and these days I'll only chase projects that I'm passionate about. You know, that's, that's, that's that simple. And lastly, looking back, I mean, you've achieved such a lot within the sport. What do you think you would have done differently? Anything? Not really, No. I think, first of all, I was very fortunate to be in the right time and the right place, you know, for, for my particular career. Uh, I mean, you know, in some ways I look back, seriously, who would have thought, you know what I mean? I, I, I was, there was a, and I'm not just saying this through false, you know, or false modesty, it's, it's it, I was very fortunate to be right at the right time all of a sudden, with the right people around me, to then you know, go on and, and have these opportunities. Um, so that was that was really the, the 
the big, I guess, turning point or tipping point, you know, for me. Um, I mean, there was a time where I came out of Olympics and was going through university and got married too young and, you know, things weren't, you know, going ideally, let's say, you know, and it, it, it definitely, you know, the various points could have taken a wrong corner. But I just seemed to have the right opportunities come along at the right time and whammo, you know, all of a sudden, yeah, you, you've got, you're on your way on this pathway. So, yeah, good times. <laughs> Well, Russell, it's been a pleasure. I hope, I hope it hasn't been too painful. I hope you've enjoyed it, and thank you so much for your time. No, thanks. What do you think of Russell's chat? It would be great to hear from you. Leave a note on iTunes at Shirley Sale on Instagram and Twitter, or send an email, podcast at shirleyrobertson.com. Well, that's about it for this month. Next month... We have a real treat in store. I've managed to track down one of the foremost skippers in solo offshore sailing. And I say track down because Sam Davies is not a woman that keeps still. I've known Sam forever. We actually raced together way back before she realized that my kind of racing was all a little sedate for a prestigious offshore talent. She was always destined to do something pretty special in the offshore world. And that she has certainly achieved. She's currently well into the preparation for her third Vendée Globe. And if you've seen shots of her new foiling in Mocha 60, you'll see she is, as ever, a very real contender in a fleet comprised of the world's best offshore talent. And as you'll hear, it's a prospect she's relishing. Thanks again for listening. It's really great to have your company. And as ever, a massive thanks to the gorgeous Tim at Vertical Films for editing, mixing, and just lovingly producing the podcast. You're brilliant. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Have fun on the water and sail safe, everyone. This is Cost One, Rachel speaking. Pass coming here, Chris is coming. We're 1.5 below. Stand by, two times here, boys. We're looking at 10.5 and 42. This is Castle One standing by. Out. Oh.